Welcome to episode 79 of the Jackson Hole Connection, brought to you by Mountain Weather, your source for weather in the mountains, in Jackson Hole and beyond. Please visit the jacksonholeconnection.com slash mountainweather to learn more. Hello from Jackson Hole. I'm Stephan Abrams, your host and guide today. Each week I sit with someone connected to Jackson Hole to share their fascinating story about daily life. I feel we can all learn so much from each other, and I intend to search out people and stories which will teach us all a little about life outside of our everyday circle. My guest today has an interesting connection to Jackson Hole, me. John Seforic had his book published over the past year and has sold 50,000 books in the first year. I learned of John's book, The Wealthy Gardener, from the podcast Passive Real Estate Investing. I was so interested in The Wealthy Gardener, I went out and purchased the Kindle version immediately and began reading, and I've also purchased the hardcover version as well. John will share some sweet nuggets from his book and his life. This episode begins with us just talking, so there's not so much of a moment of me introducing John on this episode. The one item I will share with you about John is the goal he set. It was to retire at the age of 50 with passive income of $200,000 and have financial freedom at the time of his retirement. Guess what? John did it and writes about it in his book from his view of the wealthy gardener. Enjoy my time with John, and I hope you are inspired to grab a copy of his book too. I just finished it and highly recommend you add The Wealthy Gardener to your reading list this year. I grew up going to this hardware store where this was the hardware store in the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. And see the little, see the guy leaning against the counter in the back, behind yes. the counter? That's my yes. grandfather. Nice, nice. And then fast forward to the 70s, we moved there, and that's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. So we would, they would just sit around and talk to people, the customers, and called it visiting. And I would go with my grandparents to their friends' houses or to the, our great aunts or great uncles' houses. And just sit and visit, just sit and talk. And I find that today, we don't spend enough time just sitting and chatting with people about what they do in their lives, who they are, what can I learn from somebody else? And I share a story that really humbled me as a child was I was helping somebody at the store and they were buying something and they were going to put it on credit. And one of these gentlemen in in the picture was helping me out because I was probably 10 years old and I needed the person to sign, the customer to sign the ticket. And she's just put an X and I looked up at, it was probably Mr. Sullivan that I looked up to and he just shook his head. And I, that was my signal to say, that was okay. That's fine. There was no words exchanged. And after, and we said, thank you to the, to the lady who came in. And afterwards I asked, I said, why the X? And he said, she doesn't know how to read and write. That's how she knows how to sign her name. And it was very humbling to think that here, I just met somebody who did not know how to read and write. And there's a lot of stories that people have experienced in life that we can share. And now that I'm a year and a half into this, this week is episode 78. I'm now receiving more feedback from people and questions from people where they've appreciated the information and they're reaching out to somebody or they're taking action on the information provided to them. 
Mm -hmm. So some of these interviews that I do are with people such as yourself, somebody who is contributing to the world and providing information so people have something to carry on and use as a tool and a resource. Other stories that I am interviewing people for are people that grew up here or have a lifelong connection to Jackson and just sharing their history about this place because we do have a beautiful place here in Jackson Hole, but Jackson Hole is the unreal, real world. You don't see a lot of homelessness. You don't see a lot of poverty here, but there is. It happens. You don't see a lot of drug overdose, but it happens. You don't see the suicide, but it happens. And you don't see people struggling, but it has happened a lot. It didn't happen until the late 80s that this place exploded. Before then, Teton County was one of the poorest counties in the state of Wyoming. And it was we should, really we should, be, we should be clocking this, man. <laughs> this is a good story. Um, well, I am recording yeah. it right now. Um, oh. Just the intro. Uh, I just, I, I feel like I should record everything and then yeah. just decide what to use and whatnot. And I just interrupted it. Damn no, it. No, 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 it's fine. Yeah. So there's a lot of struggles out there in life and it takes a lot to resilience and fortitude to live in a place that's so rural. Even though we're rural, we have wonderful resources. We have a center for the arts. We have wonderful concerts and artists and speakers that come to this community because people want to experience this community and the place. Uh, people refer to it as the power of place. It's very powerful. It's like going to Sedona and people feel something, some energy from those hills, from those mountains. And yeah. people can feel that here as well. And it's a nice community. You know, I think that the, the undercurrent you're talking about that is probably more commonplace and less unique to any one spot is that we rarely see the struggle, the inner side of people. And what I find is that we're always comparing ourselves to people who their outside shell, which is their best case scenario. Nobody's talking about their inner game, their inner world. And so it's, I think it's so, I think the struggle is very common. I mean, I know from my area, guys just don't talk about problems with one another. It's rare. You know, you just don't open up like that. I can say that back in my chiropractic clinic, um, you get to know everybody and they start to share things with you. And mm -hmm. you start to realize that everybody's got a struggle inside there, even the ones that look like they don't. So true, John. And um, next, it's not next week or the week after, I have a friend here in town and he's a guy. And that's why I said he, of course. But um, he was dealing with some anxiety and depression and anger and for a long time. And he shares with people the importance of getting help and how it has helped him and his family, his relationship with his family. And when he, I went to his shop to place an order. He does shirts, he does screen printing and, and such. And he, he just shared all this stuff with me unsolicited. And I was very proud of him for doing that. And in the end, this is probably something that most guys don't do. I gave him a hug. Right. I said, I said, congratulations. Very proud of you. And one of the things that he had mentioned to me, he's like, Hey, I don't drink anymore. I, your sales are probably going, you know, plummeting right now. <laughs> and, and I get that from people every now and then that I hear, Hey, I'm not drinking anymore. And I say, congratulations. That's wonderful. Yes. I am in the business to sell alcohol, but I'm in the business to sell alcohol to the people 
that can use it responsibly and it can, they can get, receive some enjoyment out of it. But if it doesn't work with your life and what you're going for in life, don't do it. Yeah. You don't need to. I don't, you know, I, I don't know if there's a person on this earth that doesn't suffer in some way. And, you know, certainly something the, the tenet of the, um, of the Buddhist is that life is suffering, right? I would, <laughs> if a person tells me they never suffer, well, there's one of two options there. They, they just don't think too hard or they're just not going to open up to you and, and they're just going to re- keep their deepest secrets to themselves and mm-hmm. everybody's going to suffer. That's part of being human. Yeah. That's right. It's, it's all a matter of how we handle the suffering. Well, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's about handling the suffering. I mean, it's, that's a given. And I, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges is, that, are we, are we really like, are we into this already? Or are we just, uh, is this like pregame here? Uh, either, it could be either way. Yeah, it could be either way. <laughs> okay. You'll figure that out later. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no start whistle here. I don't yeah. know what's going on. <laughs> It's like, did we toss the ball up or kick it off or what's going on here? Sometimes it's just great to get into it and just start talking. And when I heard your story, I'm like, stop, let's go back (laughs) and you should start over. This is good. uh, I did do an interview with somebody who flipped the mic on me. I brought a friend in I was going to interview him. And he's like, so I'm going to start asking you questions. And he did. Well, you know. Stephen, along the lines, I'll, I'll, I'll continue with what we're saying there. Along the lines of people feeling uh, depression, you said, or mm-hmm. melancholy or sad. I think that so many people in my area, at least, I can speak for my group, and I'm talking about rural Pennsylvania outside of Pittsburgh. We look at that as all bad, you know, just mm-hmm. a terrible feeling like we were going through something that's just not we're, we're abnormal and i can tell you that people just try to struggle their way out of that instead of sitting there and trying to figure it out and i can tell you from my own life i've always viewed that kind of feeling of melancholy that feeling of uh, uncertainty discontentment i've used that as a almost a feedback where to me it meant all right, John, something's not quite right on in your life. There's something you got to get more of or less of. You've got to change something. There's a reason for this. This is symptomatic of a bigger problem. And I've always used that as a sign for change, but you can only change if you sit alone and don't run from it. And I can tell you in my area, the way we run from it is we turn the TV on. We run around, we do sports, we do anything but sitting alone in a quiet room and trying to figure out what's causing our symptoms. And in the book, you speak about how you would sit in your sauna. Was that your quiet place? That is absolutely a sanctuary for me. I have a sauna right here, 10 feet away from where I'm speaking right now. Mm-hmm. I would say that I would definitely go in there alone if Let's say next week, I, I finally come disturbed with a business problem. Let's say that I'm, I have a relationship problem where I don't feel good about it. Absolutely. I, one of the lessons of my, of my life is to sit in meditation, to, to try to sift out the inner game of life. Uh, so yeah, the, there's nothing like a sauna to sit you away from the world, to get in touch with your inner self and to hear your inner voice in that quiet space. Yeah, I think we all need a solitude and stillness and that's where I retreat from the world. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had a life-changing event in your, in your life? 
a life-changing event in terms of something that prompted you to realize you needed to make a, a shift in, in what you were doing. It, it, it brought it to light. What was, what your, how your life was moving along and then something happened and you're like, yes. Whoa, I need to make a change. Hmm. I would say that for me, that change came when I was 30 years old. That's when I had to make the change. I remember one day clearly when I was going for a walk and I went to a cemetery and I sat beside a tombstone. So I was 30 years old. I sat beside a tombstone of my grandfather. And what I recall from that day is that at the age of 30, I had just worked so hard for 10 years. You know, I put in 10 hour days. I've had a stressful decade of my 20s, 50 hours a week, and I had nothing to show for it. And so I'm trading hours for dollars. I have a, I have a family, I have two kids, and it just felt like wage slavery to me, wage slavery. And I was probably my lowest point of my life. I'm sitting there all by myself. Nobody knows where I am. But no matter how bad I had it, no matter how bad I had it for those last 10 years, and I felt like I suffered, it was nothing compared to my grandfather. My grandfather was a coal miner. He went into a hole every day of his life, and he emerged 10 hours later, dirty. He did that for 40 years. He died of black lung disease, just like they all did. And when it was all over, he left his family in poverty, just like they all did. Now, that was a lifetime of wage slavery. The saddest thing about that is that at the age of 20, he turned down a major league baseball contract. No way. He could have been a major league baseball player. He was special, but he had a family and he chose a responsible job. He felt like that was the responsible way to go. And I just felt a camaraderie sitting there that day. I felt sad for his life, but at the same time, I had my own life to live. I had just done the same thing. I was going to, I was giving my hours for dollars. And I said that I will too live a responsible life for my family. I'm going to provide and protect, but you know what? There's no way I'm going to go down that road. He did. There's no way I'm not going to win this game financially. There is zero chance. I'm going to get the, out of this thing 30 years later and leave my family in poverty. No way, no how. And there's just sometimes you walk through a day and it's invisible to the world, but you're different thereafter. That was my day. And at that point, I set a goal for financial freedom. I wasn't looking for a, I wasn't looking for a goal of living an expensive lifestyle and, and showing off and being ostentatious. I wanted freedom. I wanted to be so far away from that financial line that I didn't, didn't have to think about money and didn't have to worry about money. And so I set a goal for financial freedom at the age of 50. Financial freedom to me was $220,000 in passive income. And so when you set a goal like that, what happens is, and I look back over my life and your life just naturally fills up with the types of activities that then earn the goal. And at the age of 49, I retired. I, I definitely reached that goal of 220 and went into the basement and wrote my own book uh, for my son. Like some of the books that have helped me all my life. I wrote a book for my son at that point called The Wealthy Gardener because he was just coming out of college and he was just about to do the same thing I had just done. So that's my story of a turnaround at the age of 30, probably the, you know, sometimes I would tell that story and I would break down in front of my son and, and uh, you know, that's, that's what money can do to you. It can, it can break you down if you're, if you're losing too much.
Yeah, it, it sure can. Thank you for sharing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you for sharing that that moment. And I'm glad that you've written the book. I've I've been enjoying it. I bought a copy via the Kindle, and then I also bought a hard copy. So that's uh, the whole trick here, yeah. Stefan. See, I I tried to write a book with so much content that you're going to buy the. the kindle but that's not going to be enough for you so i'm going to double up and take take twice your money and, <laughs> and i hear that non-stuff i hear the I, I really love the audiobook I, I collaborated with dennis Kleiman, but i swear to god there's not a person who buys that audiobook that doesn't then buy the next book it's uh -huh. just it's there's a sequence to this and man i tell you that was the, the audiobook is special but uh thank you for saying that i i appreciate the fact that you bought the book and gave it your time. That's for sure. You know, all of this is an unintended consequence of really uh, me sitting down and saying, I just got to help my son, my own family. And then we offered it to the world and it's done pretty well. And you have sold 50,000 copies the first year that it was released. I sold 50,000 copies when it was released as a self-published book. Okay. My my goal was 10,000. They tell me if you sell 10,000 books, that means your book will be around 10 years later. There's some sort of a number like this. So I said, uh -huh. I'm gonna send 10,000. Well, I sold 11,000 audio books. Uh, so, you know, I really have to thank the, uh, the good people out there that, that refer it. You know, it's just me. I'm not, there's no powerhouse publishing house pushing it. Now it's been translated into several languages now. It's been, um, it's been bought by Penguin. So now I have a little power on my side, but that's just a week deep and we'll find out what happens there. But yeah, it was, we were all alone and 50,000 books got sold in that first year. And when you started it, you were just with the intention of providing something for your son. I could not, I could, I could not have written this book without an intention for my son, Stefan. Mm -hmm. This, uh, people say, well, what are you going to do when you're retired? I'll tell you what I did. I walked down into my basement and I anguished for three years writing full time, just pouring my soul into a book that turned into a 400 page book. And it's, uh, it gave, I gave my soul to this because you're, you're talking about a dad writing a book to his son. At the same time, my son was a collaborator. And so the way it worked out was uh, I said, Mike, how about you lay some eyes on this? I'm thinking about writing a book. Every Sunday we can get together, we can discuss, you know, a chapter or two. The chapters are tight, little four page chapters. And that was my impetus. I mean, I would just make it to Sunday and he'll laugh because, you know, here's me just laying on the ground, sucking my thumb. I mean, it was hard. Yet uh, I can make it to Sunday because I just had to make it to that, that next gulp, that next, that next post when he and I would talk. And that's how I got through three years. Good work. Good work. And have you ever read the book by Booker T. Washington, Up From Slavery? I have not. Okay. I, I recommend that book. I recently read it. And you think about when he was born, how he was born. He was born in slavery. And when he wrote that book, the, the things that he accomplished and the fortitude that he had to, to come with to accomplish what he did in life. Traveling on foot in some of the areas that he traveled so he could go to class at night after working all day long. And when you were telling me your story of your, fa your grandfather 
working in the coal mines and the struggles that was that was real struggles what those coal miners such as your grandfather's generation did stuff and people have no idea they he was one of the guys that was paid with a company money so you could use his money at the company's store it wasn't uh-huh. real it wasn't real us dollars it was just you know, I would say this, there's, there's, I don't want to over-exaggerate this and, and put down any kind of sacrifice people go through with slavery. I certainly am not getting into that conversation because that's as bad as it gets. Sure. However, it's not a whole lot different when you're talking about a person who gives his days for food, for clothing, for shelter, and just dies at the end of a life. Mm-hmm. It's the same game. You might call it an indentured servant if a person's actually doing well. Well, that's what it's like in the middle class for a lot of people. You, you just, you're getting by. You're paying for food, you're paying for a roof, you're pay- and there's no money left over. Well, didn't slavery, I mean, I realize, I'm not saying it's, it was good, but didn't slavery also give a person that security? food, water, and shelter. And it wasn't always beating. Sometimes there was good, re- good relationships with, uh, between you know, the owners and the slaves and this and that. I'm not downplaying that, but it is the same game. When you, you can get into wage slavery, where there's no hope in your life. And that's what slavery is. There's no hope. And man, I'll tell you what, we all have a financial condition of this life. And I just had to, for myself, I had to win that financial condition. There's no way I could not. And then it was just so important that my kids don't suffer in the same way my ancestors did. So yeah, that's, I would love that book. I wrote it down while you were talking, Up From Slavery. It's it's on my list. I'll be right back with John after this quick message from the show sponsor. Mountainweather.com, the go-to website in and around Jackson Hole for weather in the mountains. Founded in 1991 as a way to keep track of weather information by meteorologist Jim Woodmincy. Mountain Weather also provides forecasting services for special events and mountaineering expeditions around the world. You know Mountain Weather Forecast is the best because it comes from someone who loves spending time in the mountains. Jim is a former Jenny Lake climbing ranger, he's an avid backcountry skier, a mountain biker, and a certified avalanche instructor. Visit the jacksonholeconnection.com slash mountainweather to learn a whole lot more. You decided to go into real estate for your vehicle to create the wealth to reach your goal of retiring by 50. How did you come to the determination that that was going to be your path? Hmm. That's a that's a question I had to answer in my early 30s. Once I set the goal for financial freedom, so I'll tell you I'll tell you this: um, if you decide that you want financial freedom, you want you want wealth in this world, you have to do a little bit of the math. For me, financial freedom was a retirement income where I could live off of the money, and I wouldn't have to work. I wouldn't have to worry. And I wouldn't have to stress over it all my life. So start there. What's the number for you? In my, in my own existence, my number was $100,000. That $100,000 in my neck of the woods would pay for enough. It would pay for my family. It would pay for all the catastrophes that can happen in life. $100,000 was my retirement income. So if you take that back to the next formula, they say, well, take your retirement income times 25 that gives you some sort of a formulaic idea of how much money you need 
in savings and stocks in the bank. So do the math, $100,000 times 25 is 2.5 million in the bank. 2.5 million in the bank. And I'm 30 years old and I'm thinking, I basically save $500 on a good month. I have a wife, I have two kids, we have little savings, we're busy. I'm working six days a week, I'm tired. And I get 500 bucks at best into the bank. Stefan, I was that guy that was the average man in the middle class of America. And I saw there was no possible way I was gonna reach $2.5 million in order to live off of $100,000. That just mm -hmm. wasn't realistic. And, you know, I was, I'm intelligent enough to look forward and to do the math and also to look at the statistics and see that the average person in America living an average life, uh, they'll save maybe 172,000 by the age of 65. That's a far cry from 2.5 million. So for me, the only vehicle I saw to have that kind of retirement income was ownership. I had to get into ownership of assets, had to transition from a consumer to an owner. And the only way you do that is with money. Uh, you have to get more money. You have to work more hours uh, to get that money. You have to spend less. You know, one of my favorite sayings is that luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Well, if that's true, then preparation is a pile of cash when opportunity knocks. The only way you can buy assets that have passive income is to get money in the bank. And I always have these kids ask me, how do you get into rental real estate? And when I say kids, I mean 20, young 20s. You know, they see the shows, they're excited. How do I get into rentals? I say, well, great, I appreciate the ambition. How much money do we have? How much are we talking about here? And just invariably, it's nothing. It's zero. There's no savings. And so there's no way to get into the game of ownership until you've earned the right to own things through your own cash. There's just no other way. And they'll look at me and they'll say, well, that's easy for you to say. No, 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 no. I, I was in your shoes once, man. I worked my 40-hour job. I worked in my free time. It's called sacrifice. I know it's a bad word today. And I know it flies in the face of this precious work-life balance we just treat like a religion. But we used to treat sacrifice like a religion. That used to be a virtue, something we admired in people. We don't have to sacrifice our whole life, but we do have to sacrifice temporarily. And that's how you get money in the bank. And then the next step is to use that money. I used it on, my, on rental real estate. Good for you, John. Way, way to go. You weren't looking for anybody to pave your way for you. You, you created your path. I had no option. Yeah. <laughs> Don't give me too much credit. I, I only uh, had one way to do it. Um, my dad was smart enough to never give me a dime. I remember when I was 12 years old, I said, hey, dad, you know, I really, my, my friend has a go-kart. I love this red go-kart. I want this red go-kart. It costs $110. You know what he bought me? He bought me a lawnmower. He said, this is how you earn $110,000. And so those lessons were part of my life. Absolutely. I had a lawnmower as a kid. My Absolutely. grandfather bought me my first one and I'd go around the neighborhood in Mississippi and push in that lawnmower and mow yards. And Oh, you poor thing. That's like, yeah. that's child labor, isn't it? <laughs> no, he had, he actually had people come into his store and say, Cliff, those boys, it was my brother and I mowing his yard. They're too young to be mowing the yard. He said, no, they're not. And I kid you, we were, our heads were probably not above the handlebars. Our hands were reaching up 
to push that lawnmower. That's terrible what your parents <laughs> did to you. They, they showed you hard work at an early age. Yeah. Don't you, you probably need a psychiatrist now to, to... Not at all. No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. My boys, they're now six and four. They'll come out and help me mow the yard. They, <laughs> I tell you, it takes a lot longer when you have a four-year-old walking with you pushing the lawnmower, but it's... I wouldn't it's, trade that experience for the world, for anything. You know what? So many parts of parenting have more global applications. You know, I remember once that the teachers wanted to put my son into, into a program where he was going to have help with reading and this and that. I was like, no, 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 no. Here's how this is going to work. If my son has a problem in school, we're going to teach him how to work two times harder. So if he has one leg, I'm going to teach him how to hop faster. You understand? This is how it works in the world. No gimmies, no mm -hmm. help, no, you learn hard work. Nothing was given to me. And I learned that I could earn and I could improve myself. And I've always just uh, had a, in work, I trust. That's, that's, a mess, that's a part of my soul. I trust work. Anything, I can get out of any problem there is with enough time and enough work. And my son believes the same thing. And this kid that they were wanted to give breaks to, he's a straight A student. He's doing 10 times better than me. So no, no, no. Let's not do our, let's not handicap our kids with ease. I, I so agree. And thank you for, for sharing that and bringing it to the surface, that topic. Let's, let's show our kids what real life is like and, but give them the tools for it to succeed. Let's treat them like adults while they're young. Let's, let's do it when it doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it's going to matter a lot someday. So let's teach our kids. Let's not, let's not protect them too much. Let's say, well, if you don't going to start, my son has a story. Like the book is all about my father, you know, father and son. So my son has a story. I don't even remember. He tells me in third grade, we're coming back from a basketball game and he's whining because he didn't have time on the court. And I, he tells me that I said, well, Mike, that's because you're not as good as the starters. And he just, he told me, he just shut up. And he said, well, how do I, what do I do? I said, well, Mike, the way you get better is you, you practice. I'll, I'll work with you if you want to, if you want to start, let's go. We'll, we'll get out there on the court and we'll practice every day. But you know, there's, there's, we're not helping our kids by trying to shelter from them from that stuff. I needed him to know that there are consequences in life. Just like you need your kids to know, just like we know there are as adults. It's not, it's not an easy world for people that want an easy life. Mm-hmm. In, indeed. And in your book, you also talk that it seems as though the book is laid out as the chapters are laid out as life lessons. Is that correct? That's how I saw it. Um, I mean, what the thread through the book, what I really believe stuff in is that if we don't have what we want in our lives, we're not using our full powers. I believe that average people with average ability have more than enough potential in this world to get what they want, including financial freedom. So the lessons of the book are about powers. They're, they're timeless principles. That was what mattered to me. They had to be timeless. They had to be universal. And so absolutely, it was all about how to teach my son to use his power, his full potential to achieve whatever he wants in life. And you have 55 powers. It snowballed, man. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what I learned over the 30 years of doing this, right? <clears throat> so it does snowball. Uh, yeah, but, but there are powers we can tap into, and we're always not doing something right if we're not getting what we want. I mean, the power of purpose, the power of absolute faith in a goal, 
the power of listening to your inner voice, you know, the power of packing more impact into your schedule, the power of creative think time. We're always just avoiding so many powers, the power of discontentment and meditation and mindfulness. There are so many timeless principles that if we harness, man, we're just not there. We're not using our full potential and anybody who uses their powers, the true powers available, they can have what they want. I'll never not believe that. So I want to go back to when you said that you talked to uh, kids and they say, well, you getting into the real estate rental business is easy for you. And you're like, well, wait a second. I started just like where everybody else is. I was having the real struggles. And then now you've reached your goal and you've identified these powers from the time that you started, I think it's important for people to realize that from the time that you started, how many of those powers did you know you had, were you aware of? And then over time, did you build into those powers? When I was 20, okay, I'm, I grew up in the middle class just like everybody else. I was just that middle class guy from a small rural town, but I read Thinking Grow Rich at the age of 20. And that changed my mind and it gave me an awareness of my full potential. That was a success philosophy book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Game changer for me. So to answer your question, how long from that book? I read that book at the age of 20. I suffered through a hard decade of 20s. And the reason I suffered was largely due to my student debt of $200,000 coming out of school. So when people say, well, it's easy for you to talk because, you know, you look where you are. I can promise you most kids aren't starting out with $200,000 of student debt. That's in today's dollars. And so I come out of chiropractic college and I struggled. I'm broke at the age of 30. I set the goals at 30 and it takes me five years to get my course set where I'm actually have some momentum. And then 15 years after that, of just doing things right and slowly. So that's a lifetime, man. You're talking about decades. I can tell you there's a lot of things I had to get through myself. Uh, You know, you find yourself stopped when you're trying to achieve a big goal. You know, this is a big goal, $220,000 passive. Like I have 110 units. That's not a small goal. I had no idea how I could possibly accomplish that. And so you really have to stretch yourself, you know, just like the story of the wealthy gardener. You know, you... You start with something small, a small vegetable garden, and you expand it and expand it and expand it, and you grow into it. And that's really the, a, a great metaphor for how life works out for a lot of us. We start small, and we expand, and we grow, and we expand, and we grow, and we become more capable. Yeah. And I, I did not read Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich when I was 20. I wish I had. My 20s were filled with far more drinking than I should have. I could have accomplished a lot more. Now I worked hard. I was known as the person that always worked. I would probably work two jobs at sometimes, or if I had one job, I would easily work 60 hours a week. And I was never going on vacations or allowing myself to uh, build myself up. Um, It was just caught in that momentum and then going out and partying with friends. I, I wish I'd been exposed to the thoughts and concepts of thinking grow rich at a much younger age. No regrets, man. No regrets. We can't look back like that. You know, who can't, you know, here's the challenge of life. Now, you know, you're, you're at a mature level. You're thinking from a mature mind. You've have all this life experience and you say, damn it. When I was 19 years old, 
I should have done this, but you're thinking with a 45 year old mind now. You're yeah. a lot more mature. You're not, you're not 19 anymore. And you know, when you, when you know better, you, you do better. I can, I can share this story with you. I mean, at the age of 19, after my freshman year of college, I'm sitting outside the door of the dean's office. I'm not there for a congratulatory meeting. So, you know, just like you're sharing with me about your 20s, I'm sitting outside the dean's office and I'm sitting there because I think I'm going to get kicked out of college after my freshman year of my first year on campus. I'm the first person in my family to ever go to college. And so the door opens and I walk into this room. The dean's a nice man, but he goes on his side of the mahogany desk. I sit down on the two chairs on the other side, very intimidating. And he leans forward and he says, John, there's no dishonor in choosing a less challenging curriculum. He pauses. Well, my mind goes into a quick whirl. I think, okay, I'm not going to get kicked out of college. I don't have to tell my parents this. That's, that's a good news. And also the dean thinks that I'm flunking on a school because I don't have the potential. He has no idea that I'm flunking on a school because I don't have the purpose. I had no purpose in my schedule. And it's always about that. You know, when you talk about, well, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done this. It's always about the schedule. And so I got out of that meeting. I went back to my room. I set different goals. I changed and rearranged my schedule. And I did everything that I, that I should have been doing to begin with. And I got straight A's. And you know, what's the lesson? You know, you, you always have to look at your schedule in life. I was just, I'd had no purpose there. And so that's how you get ahead. You put purpose in your schedule. You schedule your hours. We all know that later, but I cringe too when I think of God, that, that year, that meeting, I had a host of fun buddies. We played cards till two o'clock every night. <laughs> I had a girlfriend. My eyes were spinning. I was googly eyed. It was fantastic until I just failed. Mm-hmm. And then God, how embarrassing. And I'm like, yeah, I regret it. Sure. I'm not proud of that, but at least, you know, he gave me a chance to, to a second chance and I took it. I'm, I'm glad that you took that chance because now you've produced something which my parents are glad too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure your wife and your children are happy too. You know, they did. It worked out well for my wife and children. Yes. Yeah. And so with the book, the wealthy gardener, do you feel as though that this will last for several generations? Is that your hope? Stefan, I'll tell you what I think it's, I think as an author that if you think small, you're not, you're doing your reader an injustice. So when I wrote a book, I, uh, it's not out of narcissism. It's out of having a goal that matters, a book that actually impacts. Sure, why does this world need another book on finance? You know how many people are running around here trying to make money on a book on finance? And I've read them all, and they're so shallow. I don't want that. Do I want a book that's going to last generations? I wouldn't have started this book if I didn't have a goal of a timeless book. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. My goal was timeless. Why else would I do this? I could be sitting on a beach in Florida. And so I sat down tr- thinking of what, imagine all the timeless principles in this world. Imagine instead of running around and having to look in a hundred different books, like I did all my life. How about if we just have a volume, an encyclopedic volume of all the timeless lessons one person needs to know. And then we just chop that down to the most important timeless principles that really mattered in my own life. That's what I was after, but I wasn't going to stop there. I wanted a story because people can really digest information better in a fictional story. So what if you could write a timeless story 
that would incorporate all these principles and let people actually experience what it feels like so it'll internalize all of this knowledge in their own life as if they've lived it like I did. You know, I've read biographies and I've learned so much because I felt like I lived a portion of their lives. And fiction books can be like that. You know, it's nothing that radical when you think about it. Everybody writes fiction books. There's a million out there and good writers can get you, take you on a journey. That's what I was after. And so in The Wealthy Gardener, I try to create a character of the time, you know, the most important timeless lessons wrapped around a parable, really, of a wealthy gardener. So yeah, was I shooting big? Absolutely. But you know, it's, I was shooting big when I was broke at 30, hoping for financial freedom at 50. That, you know how preposterous that would look? I couldn't admit that to people because I would look like a fool thinking that big, just like I was when I started the book. Good for you. You got to think big. Why not? If you're yeah. going to do it, why not? That's right. Uh, I'm with you. And I think big all the time. I, my wife certainly rolls her eyes at me a lot of times. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about that. <laughs> Let's talk about that because the, and that's, that's another challenge. It's one of the portions of the book. It's a challenge of ambitious people. Uh, I have ambitions and my wife is, is probably more of a contented person, but it was always my job to communicate with her and with the kids. I always wanted to let them know why I was doing what I was doing. What's my motives? What do I, what are my hopes for my family to protect, protect and provide, you know, these relationships were my responsibility. And so I, I can't say that I've always had uh, a naturally uh, supportive cast, but when I sat down and talked to them and I talked to them openly and vulnerable, like, like equals, they want me to win. They want us all to win. And that's what family's for. If you watch TV shows, you'll see these kids, they, tears come to their eyes when they talk about the sacrifice of their parents. It's not a bad word, sacrifice. Mm -hmm. That is so true. Um, my mom was in that rat race. She was a school teacher, worked a second job, and seemed as though just wasn't ever able to catch up or stay ahead. Yeah, but, but then her son's an entrepreneur working in the, in the winery business, just like my wealthy gardeners in the winery business, right? Yeah, similar. Um, I actually sell the product that your gardener in the book would, would be making. Okay. Well, yeah. But you're an entrepreneur. And so your mother has, you know, brought this to you. Your dad's push, making you push a mower. And here we are. And Maybe we have a different story to tell. You know, that's, that's certainly what I wanted to have a different story to tell my kids. And imagine if we're telling them they can reach their dreams and they can have everything they want in this life, but we're going to sit on our ass and not work one hour more than 40 a week. Imagine mm. that. And then you'll, you'll sit there and tell them that you can have anything you want in this world, son, but they're seeing that it's not happening for you while you're watching TV. Mm -hmm. So that's what sacrifice is about. You want to show them. Certainly. Certainly. John, what are the formats, the platforms that people can access your book? You know, they tell me these days you can walk in Barnes and Noble and buy it. So that's a big thing that's new okay. for me. It's in a physical bookstore. That's a brand new thing. It used to be just uh, through the, you know, the, the Amazon. Amazon owns the book marketplace these days. Mm -hmm. uh, you can certainly, what I say, Stefano, is, is, like, I, I really believe that people can check things out before they buy them these days. You know, go to wealthygardener.com or go to, go to Amazon. You'll see all kind of links that'll give you free 
samples of the book, listen to the audio book. It goes on for 10 minutes before you before sample it. Try it before you buy it. And so I said that there's really no reason not to check things out. Just like you gave me a book. Well, why would I not check that out? You know, so it's everywhere. All the, uh, all the standard places you'll now find it. Penguin's taken over and they have the lead at this point. Cool. I'm going to give a shout out to the local bookshops, my local bookshop here in town, Valley Books. They are awesome about ordering books for people. And I think I get it just as fast as if I were to order something through Amazon as well. I love that. I, mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know how to, I don't know how to help the small time guy around, which is always, you know, I'm the small time guy. So I love helping the small time guy, mm-hmm. independent bookstore. Absolutely. I would do that if I knew how. Sure. And you have a website you mentioned, the, uh, the wealthy gardener or wealthygardener.com. Wealthy garden. Yeah. Without the, the yep. Wealthygardener.com. That's, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to what, to, what to do as a published author these days. You know, I, I truly say this is a whole unintended consequence. Uh, Penguin does have me sending out daily seeds. We call them daily seeds. It's me and my dog, Buddy, giving you advice every day. Uh, I try to keep that under one minute so that uh, I don't bore anybody. And it's hard. You know, it's easy to talk for 10 minutes. It's hard to make a message in 59 seconds, but that's mm-hmm. my goal. So, uh, yeah, wealthygardener.com is a place that I can hang out once a day, but, you know, that's where you find me, I suppose. So can people sign up for the daily seed through the website and then just put that in their email? All right. That's it. Yeah. You can check out the video. Like there's a video component. There's a written okay. component. Me and my dog buddy will talk to you once a day and it's ridiculous and it's funny. And it's, it's supposed to be a, I think having buddy in there makes people laugh. He was yawning nonstop the other day. And so I, I made a blooper where, uh, <laughs> We did the 59 minute thing and I said, hang around for the bloopers in the end. And the blooper lasted a minute. My dog yawning, 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 uh-huh. nonstop. <laughs> okay. I got to pick up the pace and work on my public speaking skills, evidently, because this dog is <laughs> bored out of his mind. I love it. I love it. Well, yeah. John, the time that you've spent with me is so appreciated. I, I value the time that you have provided to me and to the listeners today. And also thank you for the three years that you invested to write this book. I, I appreciate it. it. It means a lot. And there's so much for me to learn from this book and for me to share with my family as well. I appreciate you saying that. And, and you know, I get these great emails every day from really good people. And that's another unexpected consequence. And it really is what makes it all worth. I mean, there's no way I could finish that book without my son. But when I hear, uh, you know, a person of uh, like you say that to me, it's like, okay, maybe I did something right here. You know, so thank you. I'm going to go with that and say, not maybe did you do something right? You did something right. Thank you. The next thing I'm going to hold you to is you're going to show me what, where to stay in Jackson Hole because I'm coming. I will. I will uh, send you some ideas so you can share them with your wife and we will see you out here in Jackson Hole very soon. I will look you up, my friend. I look forward to it. We'll have you over to the house for some dinner. (laughs) Okay, great. Thank you, John. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Stefan. All right. How do you feel about it? I like it, man. I like it. You're a good guy to talk to. Thank you. Likewise. We can go a little deeper. You know, like the like you said that uh, we don't, people don't talk about important things. So that's, that's what I like about this one. We can start to go, let's talk a little deeper than who won the 
Super Tuesday last night or yeah. whatever. You know what I mean? Whatever. Let's I think it was last night. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's talk about ideas of life. Sure. Let's talk yeah. about that. So. And I know I get caught up when I go to social events. I'm like, how are you? And, oh, I'm good. I'm fine. And, okay, well, tell me more. What yeah. is really – tell? and I need to be better on the social side of things to say, really, what's going on? And, and I don't have to share my most yeah. deep thoughts and feelings, but I can talk more than just saying everything's great. One of my best friends says that he would just love to walk up to people and say, you know, tell me what you're passionate about. And let's talk about that. What's, what's, what's really got you excited right now in this moment? I would love to see what people would answer to that one, you know, but it's not appropriate for many, most places we're, t- we're talking at. in the social gatherings you're speaking of, you know, it makes people uncomfortable. Sometimes it's uh, good to make people feel a little uncomfortable. <laughs> it definitely catches them off guard. It and- depends on the depth of the person. If you're, if you ask me, you know, sometimes, sometimes people don't like to go too deep. You know, I've, I've seen them both. That's true. That's yep. true. Well, I'm going to let you get on with your day. I'm sure that you have a packed day in the days of retirement. <laughs> you know, it is. It's cool. I mean, I get to choose. So there is, there is a, the unoccupied hours are not, are not what I'm looking for. So usually after I get done with these podcasts, I usually have to hit the sauna or Whirlpool or something just to de-stress. Not that it's stressful, but it's just, you know, you get... You're on stage, man. There's no doubt about it. You know, and I feel the, I feel like I better bring something to your show because it's a, it's an honor to be here. So that's my responsibility. So now I go de-stress and then I'll jump into some real estate after this. Okay. All right. <laughs> so Sounds good. Thank and you, I, man. I really will send you some information. It, um, it'll probably be next week. I want to get my eye to where it's not a struggle right now. And um, I will email you some stuff about what if- places to stay. If this was a video, I would have brought mention to the fact that you remind me of the Don Corleone from The Godfather at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it is. Reminds me of that, you know? I'm, I'm about to walk over to the eye doctor right now because it's just bothering <laughs> the heck out of me. I got to go All back right. over there. Good luck John, with that, man. Thank you. I look forward to meeting you in person, and um, it, will happen, it will happen in a day. Well, we like it out west, so we might find you. So okay. thank you. Terrific. Right. Have a great day, bud. You too. Say bye. Bye-bye. To learn more about John and his book, The Wealthy Gardener, visit thejacksonholeconnection.com, episode number 79. I do love hearing from my listeners and subscribers, so please send me an email at connect at thejacksonholeconnection.com. And if you're feeling jiggy with it today, get out there and share this episode. Please remember to visit mountainweather.com to learn what is happening in your mountains. And I could not create this podcast without the support of my loving wife, Laura, my boys, Lewis and William, my editor, Michael Morey, marketing guru, Tana Hoffman, and musical director, Luke Taylor. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I really look forward to seeing you back here for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.